Hello and welcome to the Lancet Psychiatry Podcast. My name is Niall Boyce. I'm the editor. Now, mental health funding is always a contentious issue. It's clear that there's not enough money, and research is, of course, no exception. But in recent years, there have been some interesting new initiatives and developments. We've seen The Welcome announcing its mental health priority area. And then, in recent years, the charity MQ, the mental health charity, has emerged onto the scene. If you live in London, you might have seen their slightly sweary advertisements on the tube. And I'm very pleased to greet Sophie Dix from MQ to our studio today to remind her this is a family podcast (laughs) and um, to talk about a paper which has just been published in The Lancet Psychiatry, which is entitled How Much is Spent on Mental Health Research? Developing a System for Categorizing Grant Funding in the UK. Hello, Sophie. Hi, Niall. So the first question on everyone's lips What does MQ stand for? Mental Health and Quality of Life, and we are the leading charity raising money to fund research into mental illness and to champion research to make sure that we can um, understand and diagnose and find better treatments to treat mental illness. And so this is a paper which is research about research. Absolutely. And uh, you're trying to, to figure out how much we actually spend on this thing called mental health research. But, you know, there have been quite a few efforts in this field in recent years. What's different about what you've done and and why now? In terms of why now, um, it's very important that we understand how much money is going into research. We talk a lot about parity of steam with physical health and we talk a lot about that we need parity of steam with services, with stigma, etc. We also need parity with mental health research and to understand that we need to know how much money is being spent on research and how much that compares to, for example, physical illnesses. And it's not just about the actual you know, amount being sent, the overall amount, it's really important that we understand where that much, much where that money is going if we really want to ensure that it's being spent appropriately and prioritised effectively. The next question is clearly, what is mental health research? Because there's a research on the function of the brain, the function of the mind, so we could talk about neuroscience research or psychology research. Is that mental health research? When does it become mental health research? And that's one of the things that's been very challenging in putting this together. So we take a definition of research from the UK um, research classification, um, and it includes all types of research, everything from basic neuroscience through to social science research. Um, It includes the underpinnings of the brain. um, So anything related to mental health. But the definition is around research that's been peer-reviewed and published typically is the way you draw the line um, in terms of it's not survey-based, it's not kind of looking at how good are the services, it's very much academic research. So how did you estimate, because I imagine it's very complex, this process, was it done just using individuals, looking around, seeing what was published, reviewing the literature, or, or did you enhance that in some way? So with our previous report, this we take all of the um, grants data from the funders and charities, so anyone funding research into mental illness, we take all of their funding data and analyse it. So we produced a report in 2015, and this required manual classification. So somebody had to go through every single abstract, every paragraph written about the research to determine what that research was about and how it would be classified. So, you know, technology has moved on and in the last five years we have access to um, a resource called the Dimensions Database and through all of the grant data that exists in there, so all funders will submit their granting data to Dimensions and using natural language processing, 
we can then extract how the classification of that research. The challenge is, of course, that you know, it's in early stages and still this required a lot of manual coding and examination to ensure that the automated coding was consistent for how a human would also classify it. And what did you find? So we found that actually that in the last five years not much has changed, that research funding into mental illness remained um, pretty flat. Um, for between 2014 and 27, it was just under uh, 500 million, which is an average of 124 million a year. And that translates per person affected by mental illness to just nine pounds a year. Um, so that's not, not a lot considering no. how many people experience mental health problems. Absolutely. With one in four people experiencing men in, uh, mental health problems at some point in their life, it's woefully underfunded. And compared to example for cancer, where you see 612 million spent in the same period, that translates to 228 pounds per person affected. That's 25 times more. And we'll talk a bit more about the reasons why that might be in, in a minute, but um, I'd like to go a bit deeper into these data and I'm looking at figure three in, in the paper which is looking at uh, the comparison of the funding amount from your, your previous report and, and your, your new method and looking at it either way you look at it, depression sort of streaks ahead uh, of all other disorders in terms of funding and then self-harm and suicide are really languishing with comparatively little spent. Is there any um, rhyme or reason to this funding? Does it seem to go with disease burden? Or does it seem to, to just be what people want to fund and feel that they should fund? I think it's a combination of those. I mean, depression is the most common mental illness, so it receives a high priority. But of course, the consequences of self-harm and suicide far exceed those of depression. And so, I mean, we are quite stunned by just how little is funded into these areas. And, and it really actually highlights where these kind of analyses are really important, because some people might think that actually, well, we, we fund a lot into suicide. But until you actually see the numbers in comparison, then you can really begin to see which areas are underfunded and then start to make these a priority. And looking at the big picture again, you just mentioned this dra dramatic discrepancy between, say, funding into cancer research and funding for a mental health research. Now, I can think of a few reasons why that might be, the first of which is the, the stigma and discrimination, which I think still exists, very much so, with, with mental health. But another thing might be that maybe mental health funding has produced less tangible results than funding for physical illnesses. Might that be a factor as well? I think that there has been a less progress in the mental health area and I think stigma plays a part in that. And I think stigma plays a part by people assuming that it's part of the human condition and that they don't see that there is a scientific need to explore it further or traction in terms of bringing significant advances. And I think one of the issues has been that the, the mental health research has been quite siloed in the past, that we've had people have had very dogmatic opinions, well, it's all in the mind, it's all in the body, it's all in the brain. And you know, people have tended to take a neuroscience perspective or they've started to, start to look at genes or they started to look at, well, actually not, it's all about social, social factors, it's all about trauma. And people don't just sort of accept that there is another point of view. They've actively 
sort of said, well, actually, no, you need to disregard that whole perspective. And I think at MQ, one thing that we've really done is champion the need for mental health science. And I think that that's increasingly recognised that you need to understand these things together, that you understand how they interact, why trauma produces biological consequences and how that impacts mental health in the long run. So it's trying to take a much more holistic view of mental illness as something that has both biological, social, environmental, genetic, and all of these factors come into play and they all interact with each other and that's what we need to understand to if we're going to get more traction in the area. But complexity isn't an easy thing to sell, is it? And if you're looking at an oncology um, funding drive, you can say what we're doing is giving people higher quality of life for a longer period. What you're talking about is really getting people to reframe their concepts of mental health and mental illness, and not just the public, but also professionals, and selling that degree of complexity is a very hard task. I think it's where you start to see um, progress, though, that people start to believe in it. So I think an example here is the immune system, as we've started to have more understanding how trauma leads to um, you know, the immune system um, activation, and that we can start to see the biological consequence of that. So you can actually see that there is this link between what people experience and their mental health, and we can start to see that there is a biological pathway that maps that out. So you start to see, well, actually, that creates a whole new area of research, both in terms of understanding, in terms of of new treatments, in terms of pharmacological treatments, but also understanding early on in terms of how we can manage trauma such that people don't develop Um, a a long-lasting mental health condition. So I think it's actually when we see these advances and we see the advances that that have been brought by bringing together fields, that that brings a little bit more hope and interest in a subject that people start to feel, well, actually, you know, this is exciting again. We we, we can do something here and, and, and start to research it again. People are clearly willing to talk more about mental health now than they once were. They're much more willing to click on things on social media. But do you think they're ready to put their money where their mouth is? We hope so, and obviously that's why MQ exists, Um, but at the moment we're not seeing that filter through. So take, for example, of all the uh, research spend into cancer, 67% comes from charitable donations. For mental illness, that's just 2.7%. So just 2.7% of research into mental illness comes from charitable donations. So at the moment, we're not seeing this translate into um, public um, attention to the need for research. And I think it's not so much that the, you know, definitely mental health is increasing on the agenda, that, that, that stigma is coming down, we've got the royal family, celebrities, so many people talking out about their own mental health problems and championing the need for um, uh, destigmatization, but also for better services. And at MQ, we're really trying to champion that actually research needs to be part of that solution as well. Well, there's the issue of results as well, I think, which is very, very difficult in that what uh, we're saying in, in mental health research is that this is complex, that it's difficult, that there don't seem to be many quick wins that we can get. And that's a hard message to sell to people. I think actually there are quick wins to be made. And when you look at the, the funding analysis and we see where the money is going, you can see that some the, the, there are some gaps there. So, for example, we see a lot of money going towards underpinning research and understanding the brain and psychology. Um, But then we see that money sort of filter off as we start to look at translation into the clinic. So we don't see that much money funded into, um, you know, developing new treatments, for example. So we're seeing the underpinning, but it's not filtering through that whole um, development pipeline as such. Um, So that psychological treatments are being developed. They're showing great um, early signs of working. 
but then they're not getting the funding to take that next step so that they're used in clinical practice can actually make a difference to someone affected by mental illness. So implementation is, is one of the areas. Absolutely. Where do you see the future for the mental health funding landscape and specifically for MQ in this? We're starting to see that there is a um, commitment to increasing research spend. So, for example, you mentioned the um, welcome priority area and the 200 million there. We're seeing commitment from government and increased spends there. But these are all in the pipeline. And what's really important is that people don't work in isolation, that, that there is a coordinated approach to identifying where the need is and where the spend needs to go so that we're not seeing duplication of effort and we're not seeing that whole big areas are neglected. So, for example, the, you know, you use the example of suicide here, that if everyone is talking to one another and working together, then we can identify where the need is and how that maps into disease burden, prevalence, etc. And to really make sure that there is almost this movement behind it and MQ can make a central part in that. But it's not just about working with the funders, it's working with people affected by mental illness that, again, we have this, this position of being able to bring those voices together. So bring people affected by mental illness with the funding community, with academia, with clinicians, with the policy makers, and try and get this movement behind mental health, um, science and research. And we've seen, you know, historically how many times this has made a huge difference. I mean, take HIV is, a, is always the example I like to think about. I grew up in the 80s, there were the tombstone adverts, it was a death sentence. But in a generation, it's now a survivable illness with access to the right medicines. And that was because people worked together in a coordinated fashion, that everyone made it a priority and everyone collaborated and worked together to actually effect change. And that's what we need to say, you know, happen now for mental health. Well, HIV uh, treatment is really the biggest shift in medicine, which I've certainly seen in my professional lifetime. And if anything remotely like that could work for mental health, that would be really tremendous. Um, so, Sophie, thank you very much for coming in and for talking to us. You can read the paper on mental health funding on the Lancet Psychiatry website. For now, thank you very much for downloading this podcast, and I hope you'll join us again next time. Goodbye.